judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome to Baruch. <laughs> oh yeah, this this podcast episode is sponsored by the surly security guard at the Baruch campus. <laughs> Who also was just like, go ahead. <laughs> First he was like, so long story short, um, we had a whole bunch of stuff to do today. So we were like, why don't we just record on your campus? So I'm mm-hmm. we're at Rebecca's office and we're recording there. And she's like, oh, I put your name on the list. And I get to the front desk and this guy's like, list what what list what list (laughs) who are you going to see and like tell them the name the floor that's someone else's office that department is on a different floor and i'm just like what and there's a guard behind him who's like laughing and i'm just like sir could you step in because what is happening right now so i literally have to like call rebecca and i was like hey i'm down here and he's like well she has to call me and i was like okay and then he's like wait what's her extension i'll call her and i'm like okay (laughs) so now the three of us are on the phone like like two phones two phones so i can hear this guy asking herself and i'm looking at him and i was like i gave him my name when i first came up but, like, mm-hmm. he's just like, Sister Rebecca, is this lady okay? <laughs> <laughs> yep, this lady's great. Send her up. <laughs> I could have been anyone. Like, he just sent a random person up, and I was just like, oh, CUNY, how I've missed you. It's like when someone rings your buzzer and you don't even ask who it is and let them into the building. Like, people who, do that. I was going to say, who does that? I don't know. Not me. I, my Never. life, my, I mean, I don't live in that kind of building, but. Yeah. But, like, I would never, like, if some random person rang my bell, no. Mm-hmm. I'm never just letting you in. Yeah. Like, I have to know you're coming. I mean, agreed. But also, I know better than to ring your buzzer. Because Pete will freak out. Yeah. I mean, he, he was like, clear your throat. <laughs> <laughs> Pete will freak out if you are in the hallway. We have, like, this elderly lady on my floor. And I think she does, like, um physical therapy once a week. So there's, like, because we can see on the camera, there'll be, like, her with her little walker and, like, a nurse's aide. And she just walks from one end to the other because it's a really long hallway. And Pete loses his mind. And I'm just like, this is a little old lady, Pete. Like, stop it. <laughs> but I think he just is like, who are you? I want to see you. Come hang out with me. Like, it's That's not. That's probably more it than, like, attack. He's just like, yeah. I want to be your friend. <laughs> Friends are here. Friends are here. Open the door. Yeah. Because, like, if we get, like, food delivered or something, he'll run out and he'll, like, just sniff their shoes and mm-hmm. then just sit there and stare at them. And it's like. What was this? Yeah. He just wants to know what's going on. He wants yeah. to see the action. <laughs> but there's like, it's growling and barking. It's truly obnoxious and it's jarring and I hate when it. When he but... does that, I'm like, knock it off. Yeah. Knock it off. And he just like looks at me and then barks again. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I know you're not listening to that. He's but... like, I'm here to defend you. Yeah. There are murderers at the door. <laughs> he's so dramatic. He is. But he's so cute. Why not both? He's the cutest dog on the planet and I love him. He's definitely he's definitely up there. I don't know what's happening with I'm my sorry. voice today. He's definitely up there. <laughs> what other dogs that are listening to this podcast that are going to be like, oh, she didn't say I was the cutest? What other dogs do you have loyalty to? He's definitely up there. Wow. I mean, I had a dog named Otis and he had one eye and he was the cutest dog ever. Okay, the because one he only had one eye because of cancer, not because he was in a fight. So you can't be mad. Fine. <laughs> My dog had cancer. <laughs> he's up there. <laughs> Is this dog still living? No. Then he's not in competition for the cutest <laughs> of all time, I guess. Anyway. Do you have a picture of Otis? Not um, on you. Not but on like, me, but yes. I'm going to need to see Otis. Okay. I'm going to need to see a picture. He's definitely. He's like, he's like if Pete were on steroids. <laughs> Because he's like American Terrier Pitbull mix, but he has the same color combinations that Pete does on his fur. Like a brolic ass dog. Those dogs freak me out sometimes, though. Like they look like they could like bench press you. Yeah, he was he wasn't that big, Mm. but he he was definitely bulky. He was was so cute. (laughs) Stop. So anyway, what's up? How's your week been? Oh, pretty good actually. Um, I went to. The Lou Berger Off-Broadway show. I think we mentioned it in the last episode mm-hmm. I was going. It was pretty fun. Um, if I didn't know them, like, I, my water bottle's possessed. The cover <laughs> just moved. Um, if I wasn't a fan of them already, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed the show. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Especially for that like off Broadway price type vibe. Mm-hmm. It was definitely giving high school play. <laughs> okay. But like high school play, like we're intentionally giving high school yeah, play. I okay. think it was intentional, most of it. And when it wasn't like so they had these moments where they would like change costume right on the stage and mm-hmm. they made a big deal of how it was like a whole thing. And at yeah. the end they'd be like incredibly smooth transition <laughs> so like you knew that they were but i was also like mm, maybe there was another way i don't know i don't know yeah. i talked to two of the women that were sitting next to me in the same row because i went by myself because mm-hmm. tickets are expensive and sean doesn't care enough yeah i'm telling you my water bottle is possessed <laughs> <laughs> and we got to talking and one of them was mentioning the broadway musical six and so we were talking about that. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm really fascinated. I, I kind of wanted to see it because, like, we did a podcast episode on Anne Boleyn. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, you have a podcast. What's it about? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I was like, Psh. Nice. You Flesh hit her. Card. Oh, okay. Look, you hit her with a whip. <laughs> no. That is what that sounded like. But anyway, I pulled the card out of my wallet and handed it to her. And then the woman next to her was like, oh, all right. And I was like, would you like one too? And she's like, yeah, sure. So I gave out two cards at the Lou Burger show. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I gave a card out at Gregory's Coffee into the bowl to win Ooh. free. Uh, coffee. All right, I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up when you, when you win. I was like, oh, I have a business card. I need. To Is it the it. one one right here by campus, or why on earth would it be the one? Right I don't know. Here? Did I? You you didn't show up with a coffee. I no. don't know. <laughs> I was like, where do I live? Where do I work? Why would it be here? Because maybe you wanted a coffee before this long night of podcasting and scrapbooking. Oh my god, I'm gonna need something because that's where we're going after, and why one of the big reasons we're recording here. It's been such a long day. It's been such a long day. Like, I had a busy work day. It's our, um, what they call all-in-office staff day. Like, it's the one day where everyone comes in. Uh-huh. So there's, like, meetings and trainings. And I, like, ran a training. I ran a tra- training with a coworker. That sounds terrible. I ran a train with a coworker. I ran a training session uh, with I, a coworker. I mean, I figured that. Yeah. Like, my brain filled in the blanks. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I had three meetings. And I was just, like, exhausted. Yeah, that's a lot for a Friday, though. That's weird that they do it on Fridays. Yeah, it is. I feel like that's a Wednesday-type activity. (laughs) I think that maybe they think that, like, the outside meetings and stuff, there's a lot of, like, cross things. Because I work for college, too. So it's a lot of people doing other things with other departments. Oh, that's true. Friday's probably the lightest day. So, like, all our meetings were Mm in-office meetings. But, like, just for our department. But it was still, like, a lot. And everybody's like, oh, man, I'm so tired. And I was like, I'm exhausted. And then I was like, oh, wait, I have many more hours to go before I sleep. <laughs> Damn yeah, it. I got here at 930 this morning because I had a meeting at 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to come in after that. So I came in, I did a little bit of writing from 930 to 10. And then I had that meeting till 11. And then I was like, okay, now it's time to edit another podcast and do some grading. <laughs> We're such busy ladies. We are. Yeah, and that are. segues to another busy lady. Okay. Tell me about it. Um, so Chelsea Handler. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. Chelsea Handler. Of course. So <clears throat> she's a comedian, stand-up comedian, author. She's got so many books. Yeah, I've never read them, but I remember seeing them all when I was at really? work. Really? I'm trying to get everybody to read her first book because I thought it was really good. So, like, as you all know, gentle listeners, we met at a bookstore. We worked at a bookstore. So, like... I was at, like, two different events because, like, she came in to do book signings and, like, nicest person. So sweet. Like, took time to talk to everyone. Really, really sweet. And her first book, I think it's um, Are You There, Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea. And it's, like, all short stories. It's very, very funny. I feel like they get less funny as they go on. I don't know. I read, like, the first three and really enjoyed them. And then I think I read, like, a fourth one and I was like, mm, not for me. But they're very, very funny. But she is, I think she's, like hosting The Daily Show. I think he's like, she's like covering for him for a bit. Okay. I think he's like leaving at some point. But she did this skit that was like the day, a day in the life of a childless woman. So in the skit, she like talks about like all the things she can do, you know, day drink, sleep, you know, go back in time and like kill Hitler, climb Mount Everest. It's very funny. I'm sure it's on YouTube. You can watch it. But this pissed off many of the men that we've talked about on this podcast before who love to be pissed off by women doing things. So mm-hmm. the usuals, the Tucker Carlson's, the uh, Ben Shapiro's, and this new guy who I don't know, whose name is like Jesse Kelly. 
And I'm going to read what Jesse Kelly said. And I honestly think that if I could find a TikTok, I'm going to find it because it's very funny to hear him say it because it's it's so absurd. So they hate this idea that this woman has no kids and can like have all this freedom. They think that she's lying to herself. So Jesse Kelly said, feminists like Chelsea Handler have been lied to by society, telling that you can telling you that you can be a girl boss forever and that you can do anything a man can do, which anyone who's seen a woman back up a vehicle knows is not true. This was his, like, his, like, tight five. Like, he was like, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian, I'm too. like, literally the only thing that we can't do that men can do, that, that they can actually mostly do better is pee standing up. Yeah. That's I envy really that, it. though. That's, like, the one oh I wish I could pee stand. I wish I could just pee anywhere. It's so nice. <laughs> I mean, I can, but it's messy, you know. So, <laughs> so Kelly goes on to say, this is my favorite part. <laughs> And their wombs resemble a dried-up tumbleweed blowing down an old western town. And your Valentine's Day date for the 10th year in a row is a 10-year-old copy of Magic Mike and a half a bottle of Xanax. You're trying to pretend you're happy, but you're not happy. I mean, there might be other reasons why someone's not happy, but yeah, I don't think the child-free part or... Yeah, was it? Yeah, child, child free is child the free. like. There's so I've somehow like I want to have a kid, but I've somehow fallen onto um, like childless woman TikTok. Like it's what is it? It's called. It's not called childless woman TikTok. <laughs> it's like um single single person like income or something. Okay. I don't know what it's called. I know like the other the couple one is like childless double income, and it's just these like people. a uh, dink double income no kids. Yes. But I don't. So I this sink, is a sink. Sink, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so and these women are having like the fucking time of their lives. It's just like I have no responsibilities, really. I do what I want. Like I don't I'm not hold to anybody. Like if I want to go on a vacation tomorrow, I can. But also, I can just sit at home and not have to like change a diaper. Like, and I get it. Like there's there's a lid for every pot. There's a path for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's like these people are just like, hey. They mostly do, and there's one woman pointed out why she does it, like, why she posts about it. It's like, she's like, when she was younger, she never had any examples of what her life would look like if she didn't have kids. There's so many examples of, like, what your life can look like if you, like, have a million kids or one kid. Like, there's lots of, if you're a single mom, like, there's lots of examples. But there are not that many examples of people who just are living their lives happily with no children. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a really good point because I really can't, like, I can't think of a show where that was, like, the thing. And it wasn't about this woman's trying to get married because like her ovaries are driving drying up you know like she yeah. needs to reach she needs to get the man and get the ring so that she can get the baby like that's usually the unless there's a show that i'm not thinking of no i was just trying to think and the only character that even comes to mind remotely mm-hmm. and maybe and no because she wasn't did she have a husband that died is blanche from the golden girls like i know yeah. dorothy was divorced mm-hmm. and um Rose, Rose was, was her widowed, husband died, yeah. But I don't know about Blanche. I can't remember if she had had a husband who died or if she... Oh, I don't know. But even still, like, she was already older. Mm-hmm. And so even if she'd had children, yeah. they would have been grown and gone. Exactly. So now she's living her life, single income, whatever. Like, But yeah, like the young perspective of that. Like right. a 27-year-old person who decides, I'm not having children. This is what I choose to do. This is a day in the life. And I think that... I don't know why conservatives are so butthurt about stuff like that. Like, like there's another, like, very funny quote. <laughs> I can't find it. But so how I found all this was on a TikTok. There is um, there is an Etsy shop called Red Receipts. And it's ran by this woman named Chantal. And she it was an embroidered T-shirt that said, Deeply Unlikable Woman. And I was like, why would you want a shirt that says deeply unlikable woman? And now TikTok has this thing, like, when you go into the comment section, it has a little, like, magnifying glass. And I clicked on it, and it's Tucker Carlson saying that, like, Chelsea Handler is a deeply unlikable woman, and she's, like, gonna die alone. And I was like, that's hysterical. So, like, if you go onto this Etsy shop, I'll drop a link to it. It's kind of one of those, if you know, you know. Yes. And the shirt's really cute. And, like, 50% of the proceeds go to, like, uh, Planned Parenthood. So I was just like, Chantal, I'm for this. Sorry, I think I'm going to order one. Also, that'd be a great Women's History Month gift. Yeah. For me. Sure. To me. So Not s- from me, because I'm broke, but... <laughs> uh, but speaking of deeply unlikable women, who are we talking about today? All right. Well, 
If you can handle my voice in this week's episode that keeps frogging up, I, I will tell you. <laughs> I need you to, like, clear it. I keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. Security. <laughs> Today we will be discussing a fictional character, Jenny Curran. Did we look up how to say her name at all? I didn't. How because do we... I don't think anyone has ever said her. I, I didn't even know her last name except that it was written. Yeah, because in the book, she... I mean, I don't think it matters. We're not going to use her last name from here on out because she is only known as Janae. That's how Forrest says it. Janae. Janae. That's how he says it. (laughs) Well, Jenny is the friend, love interest, and I guess we could argue reluctant villain of the 1986 novel Forrest Gump and the 1994 movie adaptation of the same name. So we will talk about how she was treated by the men of the film and perceived by filmgoers. People were, and some still are, not very keen on Jenny. Most people saw her as a tramp, a junkie, and a user. One of our Patreon members thinks that Forrest could have done better. There is even a most hated characters list on IMDb where she's listed as number 15. Just under Kevin Spacey in 7. What? Yeah, like, let that sink in. Like, if you've seen 7. Yep. Oh my god, that's my favorite horror movie. It's so good. It's the first one I saw. Not first one I ever saw, but it's the first one I saw on my own. And I was probably too young to watch it when I watched it. Like, I was maybe 12 watching it while babysitting alone. No, you're fine. (laughs) Listen, my rating of that is so skewed because my aunt, bless her heart, showed me um, Child's Play, the Chucky movie, at the tender age of six. So <laughs> I we had to get rid of, like, I had one of those, like, do you know those kit dolls where there's, like, a tape deck in their back? Yeah, yeah. I had to get rid of it. Couldn't have it in the house anymore. My mom was pissed. Pissed. She was like, I just paid for this. And I was like, it needs to leave. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's pretty high up there, though. I, and, and the thing is, like, it never even occurred to me to think of her as a, no, a villain. not at all. Anyway. Lastly, we're going to take a deeper look at Jenny's narrative, her motivations, and discuss her th- her thought process as best that we can figure anyway, mm-hmm. right? Uh, trigger warning for discussions on child abuse, sexual abuse, drug and alcohol abuse, sexually transmitted disease talk, and um, a little bit of talking about war as well. Forrest Gump is a 1994 American film that was directed by Robert Zemeckis and written by Eric Roth. It was based on a Winston Grimm's novel of the same name. It stars Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, McKelty Williamson, and Sally Field. The film takes place over the course of four decades, the 1950s through the 1980s, and follows the life and experiences of Forrest Gump. The film is quite different from the novel, so our examples in support for today's episode are going to come from the film example and not the book. So Forrest Gump is played by Tom Hanks. Forrest Gump has never thought of himself as disadvantaged, and and this is thanks to his mom, played by Sally Field. Also, she doesn't have a name. Her name is just Mrs. Gump. Do you notice that? Yeah, and Mama. Mama. (laughs) (laughs) So Mrs. Gump, like, raised him right. He doesn't feel like he's disadvantaged. Um, She gives him so much support, and he always has had the opportunity to find success. Also, like, he's a white dude. Yeah. Watching this movie, like, with I was very, like, enchanted when I was a child. But with adult eyes, I was like, well, this guy just keeps failing up, huh? <laughs> That's so nice. Like, he just falls into these situations of greatness. Yep. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure that could happen to anybody, but it tends. Sean had never seen the movie until he was an adult. Oh, I thought you meant, like, this weekend you guys watched it. I was like, what? <laughs> well, no, but he watched it with me at some mm-hmm. point in the last 20 years. I don't know. <laughs> And he he remembers watching it with me that time and just being like, I just don't see it. I don't see, like, what's the big deal? And and to me, I was still watching it through the eyes of, like, you know, I was 13 when this movie Mm. came out. I was... Like, he's so magical. And it's just like, no, he's just, like, fucking lucky. He's, like, Mm -hmm. constantly lucky. And he's nice. Like Tom Hanks and all the roles that he gets that are, like, Oscar-nominated because they're for people... um, who either are special needs or... <laughs> Wait, what other roles? Um, what other roles? Well, I guess not special needs, but he played um, in Philadelphia. He was a guy with 
AIDS. AIDS. Yeah, I was like, listen, <laughs> this is not a Tom Hanks slander podcast. I enjoy Tom I Hanks. I love Tom Hanks, too. His <laughs> best role you. is Woody. <laughs> I met his wife once. And yeah. She was very, very sweet. I said, I'll, I'll post the picture because I love posting okay. this picture. I went to California when I was like in 12th grade or with my mom. And we took like a tour on Rodeo Drive. And like we're getting off and we're off the bus and we're like taking photos. And I like look across the sheet and I see like Nia Rodalos, who is – from my big fat Greek wedding. And I was like, it's near Rodales. And I like run across the street. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And I get to her and she's going to like the Gucci store. And next to her is Rita Wilson. And I was like, oh my God, it's Rita Wilson from Jingle All the Way. Like from I was Jingle All the Way. So she excited. Said. Jingle All the Way was like my Christmas movie. I love that movie. Anyway, I'm like, can I take a picture with you? And Rita Wilson's like, I'll take it. And I was like, take it. You need to be in this picture. And I made my mom take it. And Rita Wilson was like, very excited that like anybody gave a shit. And I was like, you were in Jingle all the way, Rita Wilson. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You don't want to be in this picture. At least she was nicer than that guy that you met at that Comic Con who was like, uh, played other roles than this. <laughs> Adam West? Yes. Ugh. That's Adam- right. <sighs> anyway. T- till my dying day. <laughs> Ugh, because that's all I was ever in. Sir, I'm, I was like 20. Yeah. I don't know you from Batman, Adam West. Listen. Listen. I can't. Listen, Adam this West. Is, this is not a Adam West hate podcast. But it's not an Adam West love podcast. But I'm like, but it could be. <laughs> anyway, Forrest Gump follows Forrest from his childhood to his college days where he becomes a star football player, of course. To the war in Vietnam, his time as captain of a shrimp boat. I'm trying. (laughs) Me in a southern accent is like you in a British accent. (laughs) Wow. I don't know why you have to bring me into those. I'm just sitting here. Um, His run across the country and eventually to his discovery that he is a father. His character maintains a childlike optimism throughout the film, and this is part of what makes him so inspirational. He cares about the people in his life, and he's always trying to do right by them. This includes his mother, his best friend Bubba, his army commander, Lieutenant Diane. I'm not going to – I got to stop doing – Lieutenant Diane. Lieutenant Diane? I can't. (laughs) No accents, maybe. You know what? I just – You love us. You can't say Lieutenant Dan. Right? Lieutenant Diane. Lieutenant Diane. You ain't got no legs, Lieutenant (laughs) (laughs) That movie is – and for all my like his failing upwards, that movie's great. Like that yeah. movie is so. It, I still it's appreciated great. it. But yes, I did watch it through different eyes. Yes, like now you can just watch and like laugh at like the funny quotes. But it's 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 a good film. Um, so Lieutenant all Dan, of those people, <laughs> all of those people that I said already, but especially his lifelong friend and love, Jenny. Now, Jenny's who we're going to be focusing on in today's episode. And as we mentioned at the start of the episode, this was inspired by one of our Math Scientist Patreon subscribers who questioned if she was redeemable. So we said, challenge accepted. I was like, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny Curran. Curran. Curran? I don't know. Curran. Later, Jenny Gump was born July 16th, 1945, and died on March 22nd, 1982. It was a Saturday, according to Forrest. She was Forrest's lifelong friend and later his wife. She was also the mother of Little Forrest. Played by Haley Joel Haley Osment. Haley Joel Oh, he's so cute. Let me tell you something about this. Haircut. I'm going to... I tweeted about this because it bugged me. Mm-hmm. So I went to a friend... Um, I was hanging out with, I think it was it was for her birthday, and I was hanging out with her and her roommate before the other people got there, and I was talking about the movie, and I was like, oh yeah, I hadn't watched it in forever, and it was just really funny to see Haley Joel Osment as Little Forrest, and he's mm-hmm. like, Haley Joel Osment was Little Forrest? And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 and he's like, I gotta check this out, and I'm like, okay, you don't have to believe me, man. <laughs> I don't trust that you know child actors. Let me Google this. In a movie that I literally watched that (laughs) afternoon. So did he look it up and he was like, you were right? Yeah, he did. And I was. I hope you said that. Why are men? I I said something snarky. I definitely, I I mean, I wasn't straight up rude about it because I was visiting my my friend. But I was definitely like, you know... I, I definitely made some snarky comment about like him should. being a man and needing to to <laughs> you check. To fact check, yeah. <laughs> so Forrest meets Jenny on the school bus. Um, I was going to say Little Forrest, but Little Forrest is Haley Joel Osment or Forrest Jr. Young Forrest. Young Forrest meets young Jenny on the school bus. After the other kids refuse to let him sit with them, she invites him to sit with her. And as Forrest tells it, from that day on, Jenny and me was like peas and carrots. See, you can do it. That's my favorite, like 
we was like peas and that's such a sweet you know what's funny i like to go i like to use the one from um big daddy go together like lamb and peanut butter (laughs) (laughs) which is like what the hell my only memorable quote from big daddy is i can wipe my own ass (laughs) Little baby um, Cole and Dylan Sprouse. Yeah, that movie is great, too. Anyway. As kids, Forrest and Jenny are seemingly one another's only friends. They spend all their time outside of school together, climbing trees, reading, talking. And it's during one of these days when some bullies come chasing Forrest on their bikes, and Jenny instructs him to run, Forrest, run. See, you can't say these lines without an accent. (laughs) Which, of course, he does, and it's in this moment he breaks free of his leg braces, and he outruns the bullies, and gay. (laughs) Go, Forrest. So Jenny's mother died when she was only five, and she was initially raised by her father, who, according to Forrest, was some kind of farmer. While it's not outrightly stated, the audience can kind of understand from Forrest's description of the man that he's both physically and sexually abusive to Jenny and her sisters. Yeah, Forrest describes him as a a loving man who was always kissing and touching her and her sisters. Like, even as a kid, I knew that wasn't that simple. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, interesting fact, because I went down a rabbit hole, because I was like, wait, sisters? He does say sisters, but, like, there are none in the movie shown. And there are none in the books. I looked that up, too. So it's either, like, a throwaway line or – because we never see them. Or maybe they were, like – not his kids or not the grandmother's kids. Uh, not well, the same line. Like maybe they had like another father and they went to go live. I just had a thought. With a different father. What if they were like sex workers and he just thought that they were like older sisters? Oh. Because there were other women around. Or... They lived in like a shack. I don't think he could afford a sex worker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Granted, I, d- I don't know how much sex work, like how much it paid per hour in 1945. <laughs> but the two of them hang out. Way past dark, waiting for stars. And Forrest says, Jenny didn't never want to go home. So this, there was clearly something there that she was trying to avoid. Hmm. So it's also assumed that he's an alcoholic. The only time we see him is he's stumbling around carrying a bottle and calling after Jenny. In this scene, Jenny and Forrest are running through the cornfields trying to hide from her father. He's apparently too drunk to find them. Jenny and Forrest kneel down and Jenny asks for him to help her pray. Praying to God, saying, dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far away, far, far away from here, again and again and again. If you're a bird and I'm a bird. Do you know that? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. So it's from The Notebook, which I fucking hate. Um, I hate that movie. Someone gave that to us for our wedding as a gift, and we never watched it. Good. We eventually gave it away, and it was still in the plastic. <laughs> That's a weird gift. Right? That it's, was our thought, because we knew the premise. I was about to say... <laughs> hope you love each other until one of you can't remember <laughs> listen it's gonna be me <laughs> i just i it's hate that gonna movie. Be me. <laughs> so what i thought when i when i heard when i watched it again i was like if you're a bird then i'm a bird and i was like you know what jenny's version of asking to be a bird is better than the notebooks in the next scene four suggests that god must have been listening because even though jenny did not turn into a bird her father was arrested, and she went to live with her grandmother in a trailer that was closer to where Forrest lived. Once in a while, Jenny would sneak out at night and stay with Forrest because she was scared. Forrest believed she was afraid of her grandmother's mean dog, but it's implied that she was likely afraid that her father would come back and hurt her again. The two remained close friends all through school, and even though they went to two different colleges, Forrest would frequently visit Jenny at her girls' college. During one of these visits, Forrest mistakes a makeout session for Jenny's boyfriend hurting her. In a display of toxic masculinity, which will be repeated multiple times throughout this film, yeah. Forrest beats him up. You have to wonder about that, too, because he didn't he wasn't raised in a household with that's, a, a yeah. male figure. That's what's so funny. I'm, when I when I read that you wrote that, I was like, yeah, why is he so fucking violent? <laughs> like, why is he always just he like constantly beats people? Yeah. Up. Like his first thing is to like punch, which is <laughs> weird. I, look, where'd you learn that? Maybe from being punched by the kids? Yeah, but he hated it. So, why? well, you know, sometimes abusers, like, I give it yeah. back. I'm not saying that anyway. he's an abuser, but, like. Toxic hmm. masculinity, even Forrest Gump. There you go. <laughs> After this, like, whole kerfuffle with, like, her boyfriend, Jenny's still mad at Forrest, but she forgives him and invites him up to her dorm room. This is where they have their first physical interaction. Jenny puts Forrest's hand on her breast. 
But I want to talk about this scene for a minute because like for all the Jenny slander, no one mentions this scene. So in this scene, they got caught in the rain. So like she's changing her clothes and like she's getting like for something else to wear. And her roommate's sleeping in her bed, just like across, you know, two beds in a room, just like across from her. She pulls out a bathrobe from underneath her sleeping room, like yanks it out from underneath her and then like throws it at Forrest, who's naked. And then like he does the whole hand touch on the boob thing and he comes (laughs) on this girl's bathrobe. And Forrest goes, I think I ruined your friend's bathrobe. And then she goes, it's okay. I don't like her much anyway. Jenny, what? (laughs) I'm calling an RA. This is, you can't live here anymore. Like that's so great. And then so they pan this over. is literally the only thing we we do agree with in terms of Jenny yes. Slander. Okay, because they pan over and her roommate is wide a fucking wig, just like big eyes, like what's happening? And it's just like yeah, all of this is weird. And Jenny's mm-hmm. a bad roommate. That's the one thing I will say about her. She's a very bad roommate because <laughs> I would need like a disciplinary hearing. Like this is not okay. Put that bathrobe in evidence. So after this scene is when Forrest goes away to boot camp. And during this time, Jenny poses for Playboy in her college sweater. This gets her expelled from the school, but also leads to her being hired to perform and sing in a strip club under the name Bobby Dylan. That's clever. So Forrest goes to see her perform and once again feels the need to, quote unquote, save her from some, like to be fair, pretty gross men by beating them up. Um, he physically picks up Jenny, takes her off, and tries to carry her off the stage. She fight back. She fights back, breaks free, and she shoves her guitar at him and like walks off the stage. As a result of Forrest's behavior, like Jenny's fired. You know, she seemingly like has to hitchhike out of town because there's nothing there for her anymore. Yep. Oh yeah, she's the problem. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she's a bad roommate, but that scene, not on her. Yeah. Before driving away, Forrest informs Jenny that he's leaving for Vietnam, and Jenny, worried, advises him to just run away if he's ever scared while overseas. He promises he will, and they go their separate ways. Jenny out west, Forrest to war. Jenny's decision to go west is part of her attempt to flee her past. She joins up with some hippies, and their peace-centric way of life seems to be better to her than the violent, aggressive experiences that she had to grow up with. Because of this move, she no longer has a permanent address, and she never receives any of the letters that Forrest writes to her while he's away. The two are reunited several years later in Washington, D.C. during an anti-Vietnam protest. They spend the day together, and Forrest eventually meets Jenny's boyfriend, Wesley, who is not nearly as cool as the other Wesley character that Robin Wright performs opposite of, which is the Dread Pirate Roberts, Princess Bride. I don't know what you're talking about at all. You never watched The Princess Bride? No. Okay. Was that the with the coconuts? No. (laughs) That's Monty Python. Oh. This is... Same boat. (laughs) Things that I'm sure people told me are amazing, and I'm like, at this point. Listen, I don't tell you anything is good because then I know for a fact you won't watch it. Good. You've learned your lesson. Because uh, I'd rather just continue enjoying those things than have you poo-poo them. Well, you know what? People tell me things are really good, and they push for me to watch them, and I watch them, and I'm like, guess what? I hated that thing. Maybe and, like, now we have a problem. What if we we did Princess Buttercup as a character? Then you'd have to watch it. Well, I didn't read um, whatever book that was. Who did we do? Joe somebody from the book with all the sisters? Oh, uh, Lydia from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. No. No. There's the one with all the sisters where you and your sisters have like labeled. Yeah. That's Pride and Prejudice. No. It's Pride and Prejudice. It's, I thought it was Little Women that we, it's Little Women. We didn't do Little Women. That, that's one that we could do, but. We didn't. We t- Pride and Prejudice. I, listen, Haley Joel Osment, I promise you, it's true. I'm about to go look up like the, I'm just like, wait, what? I guess I really phoned it in on that episode, everyone, because I don't remember <laughs> that person at all. It was our first fictional episode. Anyway, this scene, again, we see more toxic masculinity. Wesley slaps Jenny and Forrest retaliates and attacks him, causing both of their expulsion from the Black Panther meeting. Oh, I was right, wasn't I? <laughs> Lydia Bennett. Yes, you're absolutely <laughs> right. So anyway, I can absolutely do an episode and not read about it. <laughs> is to to my point. Um, the two Jenny and Forrest continue to wander around the city, updating one another on the directions that their lives have taken them. Unfortunately for Forrest, and for her to be honest, Jenny leaves the next day for Berkeley with Wesley, who's apologizing, saying, you know what, never hurt you, but, like, he already did, so... Right? I don't know. <laughs> Words mean things, Wesley, with your, like, stupid goatee and these, like, tiny little glasses. He's <laughs> annoying. 
Once back in California, it's assumed that Jenny eventually breaks up with Wesley because the next time we see her, she's with another guy. And this time with a black guy. She does leave him without giving him another chance like she had with Wesley. The next time we see Jenny, it's after Forrest has named his boat and he's thinking about her. She's at studio. She's at a Studio 54 type club. We can assume it's like the 70s. She's with a group of fancy people doing fancy drugs and singing and dancing and having like a gay old time. Well, this fades into an image of a gray looking Jenny in a hotel room with some greasy dude. <laughs> The music is no longer upbeat and the party's over. Things have gotten so bad with the drugs that Jenny contemplates taking her own life. She can only reflect on her life as a failure, but she does eventually get down from the balcony and I think this is the moment when she decides to clean up her life. Forrest and Jenny do not see one another for many years after they were reunited in D.C. After the death of Forrest's mom, Jenny finds her way back to Greenville, Alabama, and the two are able to spend their days together. Forrest says that she doesn't talk a lot about about her past, especially her attempt at taking her own life. But we as an audience can tell that she finally reached her breaking point, and now she's trying to clean up her life, and she knows that Forrest is a safe person to be with. Part of this recovery is also confronting the ghost of her father. As she and Forrest wander past her childhood home, she starts throwing rocks and shoes at the house, crying, how could you do those things? How could you do those things? She ends up sinking to the ground, crying. When Forrest asks Jenny to marry him, she says no, because in her words, you don't want to marry me. He thinks it's him and that it's because he's not smart, but she's carrying a lot of baggage and even comes back to tell him that she does love him and they have sex, but she's worried about her past and how that might affect him. At this point, she doesn't know that she likely has an incurable disease, which um, in the book, it was rumored to be hepatitis C, which was also an unknown disease at the time it was written, hmm. or HIV, which is what it was in the film. And in 2019, they confirmed that that's what it was in the film version. She runs off the next morning because she's afraid. So I disagree. I don't think she was running or afraid, but we will come back to that later. Okay. Jenny even leaves Forrest Metal behind. For her, perhaps it's a sign that she's leaving her love with him, but he sees it as a rejection. When they do see each other again, it's 1981. Jenny shows him a scrapbook that she kept of him as he ran across the country, showing that she's been thinking of him even when they weren't together. She admits that she was messed up for a long time, so clearly she has come a long way and has grown since they were last together. Oh, uh, and she informs him that they have a son. What? Jenny and Little Forrest move in with Forrest in Greenbow, Alabama. She, I think she was in Georgia. <laughs> uh, you, Savannah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Jenny marries Forrest now. Here's where she's giving, I think. Jenny's giving Forrest what he had always wanted. And you know what? I think she really does love him. It just took her that long to realize that it was okay to love him and to trust him. Jenny died approximately one year later. So interestingly enough, behind her, beyond her childhood, we don't get much more of how people perceived Jenny. We see no interactions between her and other children or even her and Forrest's mom. Which, you know, I might have expected at least one scene between the two of them since she was always around. Like, it was yeah. his only friend. You would have thought there'd be something. Yeah. Anyway, all we see are the boys that chase Forrest, and they don't pay much, if any, attention to Jenny, which is interesting. Uh, the fact that he was in, that Forrest was an easier target than she was um, says a lot. Mm -hmm. At least someone paid enough attention, though, to get her out of her father's house and living with her grandmother. So I have two fan theories based on what you've just said. Okay. One, maybe it was Forrest's mom who called the cops to be like, this guy's being weird to his daughter. Or there is no Jenny. Jenny was killed as a kid, and now she's all in Forrest's head. And all the public interactions were just women that he thought were Jenny, but he thought Jenny would grow up to be. Women that he thought needed to be saved because he couldn't save her when she was a child. So is this like My Girl Meets Fight Club? <laughs> right? No, in because Fight My Club, Girl the was, guy from... was in his head, but in My Girl, the kid died. Like the best friend died as a kid. Um, this is maybe a <sighs> Haley Joe Osmond classic, The Sixth Sense, if anything. <laughs> Honestly, I like... I like my idea and I want someone to make that into okay. like a short or something because that's what now I want to go back and watch it with that thought in mind because like literally no one interacts with her like you think that these gross guys who were chasing him through like a field would be like is that your girlfriend slow like they would like say something mm. to her and she's like hot so like why aren't they like you're too hot to be hanging out with that like 
R word because they would absolutely say the full R word in that movie. Yes. But like no one interacts with her like or the writer was just like she's just like a secondary woman like whatever. <laughs> Anyway. She doesn't need any actual lines and or interactions with anyone else. What is that test? Bechdel? Yes. Does this? This does not pass the I test. I don't think there are other women for her yeah, to even he talk never, to. He, her neighbor who drops off the kid at the end. <laughs> yes. And they don't talk about a man, so there you go. I don't know. It wasn't very long, though. No. I, don't, I don't know if it has to meet a certain length. Oh, my God. She really doesn't talk to any other women at all in this film. Are, there aren't. Besides the mom, there no. aren't really any other women. And why aren't there any scenes with her and the mom? Like, that seems weird. You're right. Like, I'm not, like, very... <laughs> this is film talk. And now I have, like, a real fucking problem with how little women are in this movie. <laughs> anyway. Jenny's had, like we said, lots of interactions with, like, only men throughout her life. And honestly, most of them were trash. The men and the interactions. The men always seemed to treat her as just an object. When she was singing on stage and the men were heckling her and trying to get her to perform differently, they were just grabbing at her and trying to touch her without her consent. Mm -hmm. Wesley is another example of another man treating her as an object. He talks about how he shouldn't even have brought her to the Black Panther meeting and then slaps her when he gets angry. Then he doesn't even apologize. He just states that things things got out of hand and he would never hurt her. But again, as we mentioned... He already had hurt her. Mm-hmm. Later, we see Jenny leaving another man who had hit her, and then we see her break down after shooting up with another dude. We can only imagine how many there were in between, how many there were in between these, because it had been a decade or maybe close to two that she's been living this life and trying to survive. The one person where we do know how they perceive Jenny is Forrest, but truth be told, Forrest definitely looked at Jenny through rose-colored glasses. And this isn't always the best for either of them. Forrest always feels the need to rescue Jenny. Perhaps this is because of the way that she rescued him in their childhood. She gave him a place to sit on the bus. She played with him and read with him. And she gave him that famous advice to run, Forrest, run, which helped him out and even saved his life multiple times. Forrest loves Jenny. Even when she's telling him that he doesn't know what love is, he keeps loving her. So why would she do this? Is it because she doesn't think that he has the mental capacity to love? Or is it a defense mechanism because she doesn't know what love is? He has experienced real love, parental love, brotherly love, a mentor's love. And so while he hasn't been romantically involved with anyone else before, it's easy enough for him to recognize his love for Jenny. So I almost think that she was, like, talking to herself here because, like, she also, like you said, like, she's never got, like, that kind of love. She doesn't know anything about love either. The men who have claimed to love her also hurt her, minus Forrest. So her version of love is, like, violent and conditional. So, like, on the flip side, maybe Forrest doesn't know how to love in her way. Yeah. You know? Which is actually for the better, but she doesn't recognize it yet, right? Yeah. So when the two are in D.C., just before she's getting back on the bus, Jenny questions why Forrest is always so good to her. Forrest tells her, because you're my girl. (laughs) (laughs) So she confirms that she's always going to be his girl. But again, I think this is part of why she doesn't want to stay with him. She's afraid she'll hurt him like she's been hurt by others before. When Jenny returns to Greenbow after her balcony moment, Forrest never questions about questions her about why she came back. He just accepts her fully. And he's the only one that's ever done that for her, which is why she's so afraid to hurt him. It's been suggested that the moment when Jenny was throwing her shoes and rocks at her father's house is the moment when Forrest recognizes the truth of what happened to her. When Forrest proposes to Jenny, she declines, saying, you don't want to marry me. Her response prompts Forrest to explain... I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is, before stepping outside. That night, Jenny climbs into Forrest's bed, kind of like she did when they were kids, and tells him that she loves him too. This is her first time admitting this, and I have to wonder if it's her first time saying it at all, or at least saying it and meaning it. The two of them have sex, and she leaves the next morning without telling him that she's going, and she leaves behind his uh, Congressional Medal of Honor, prompting his three-year run. (laughs) Gross. You can't even run for three minutes, let alone three uh, years. Right? <laughs> like, ugh. So anyway, when Jenny and Little Forrest came to live with Forrest at his house, his love for her continued the same way that it always had. For better or for worse, he was always constant and he was always a constant and reliable figure in her life. Over the years, people have questioned if Jenny was the perfect angel that Forrest paints her to be. Like we said, he is wearing rose-colored glasses for her. One writer, Mark Bennerden, 
declared that if you actually look at what she does, Jenny is revealed as a horrible, manipulative, selfish woman whose every action towards Forrest serves to either lead him astray or further her own goals. In an article titled, 20 years later, Forrest Gump's Jenny is still just the worst. He questions her motives for returning to Forrest after her balcony moment. Bennerton claims that Jenny had failed in life and was looking to be waited on hand and foot by her now rich friend. For this, he and others have called her a user. But like, let me play devil's advocate for like just a second and see where Mark is coming from. So in his eyes, for all of Forrest's efforts and helpfulness, what does he get? A rejected proposal, some pity sex, and an empty bed in the morning, followed by three years of running. <laughs> Bennerton goes on to say that years pass and she makes contact. Why? Because she's got AIDS and isn't long for the world. She's got a kid, his kid, which she likely would have kept a secret from Forrest, except that she needs something. The thing that she needs is a place to die and someone to raise her child. Many fans think that Jenny was just desperate. Why would you let someone who you claim doesn't know what love is raise your child? You must be out of choices. Benerton does wrap up his article by saying that he understands that her life was warped by abuse, but notes that she should have sought therapy rather than Forrest. I mean, I'd like to know how available therapy was in those times. 1970, you're not just, like, getting a therapist. Yeah, I'm sure they would have, like, 1981, whatever. <laughs> they would have shocked her before they would have, like, sat her down in some kind Literally. of therapy. So I'm glad that he points out her years of abuse. Like, I find it really hard to imagine anyone not sympathizing with Jenny as a child. Yeah, she's friendly and caring towards Forrest. Her mother has died. Her father's abusive. She has to go live with her grandmother. She's afraid and wants to turn into a bird so she can fly far away. Like, we see her as a victim of all of these things. After Jenny gets expelled from her college for taking sexy photos, like, not even that explicit. They were in a college sweater, but it was the 1960s, yeah. so, like... Scandal. Yeah, a thigh? Ooh, God, fire her. Um, fire her from school. <laughs> so she takes off with a bunch of hippies in a van and lives her life on the road. Why does she run away, though? I mean, she could have just lived with her grandmother, right? I mean, maybe. I mean, she likely would not have been admitted to any other college at that point with the magazine photos out there because, you know, sexism. Mm -hmm. Maybe her grandmother was really old and staying around would mean that she would have to be her caregiver. Or maybe her father was out of prison and she was trying to avoid him. Maybe she couldn't even get a job locally because people knew what she had done and ostracized her for it. There's a lot of factors there. Mm -hmm. The truth is, we don't know. The story doesn't tell us that part. But it's easy for us to imagine some of the many reasons she might have had for leaving. I think even at this point, most people get it. We might not agree with it. We might have made another choice or claim to have been able to make another choice. But at the very least, we understand where she's coming from here. Yeah. So most people who found themselves in like this hippie lifestyle of the time were looking for something else. They felt rejected by the norms of like a middle class society. They wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. You can see this in Jenny's work with the Black Panthers and the anti-war movement. So when do audiences and guys like Mark Bennerton stop sympathizing with her behaviors? Probably right after the scene where she considers flying off the bridge. We're curious about other negative perspectives on Jenny because, honestly, we didn't see them ourselves. And here are some of the things we found on sites like Reddit and Quora, which, for better or for worse, they're out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the comment section is all. <laughs> Sometimes, I was just talking about this, but like, I feel like I need to sage my computer after looking up like the devil's advocate side of it. Like when I had to look up like stuff for AOC and I'm like, what do people say about her that's negative? And I was like, oh, Jesus, like Reddit will bring you some places. So this one's from Reddit. Because she abandons Forrest at every opportunity despite how much he has done for her and how much he has proven to care about her. Instead, she sleeps with a guy who just sees her, she sleeps with guys who just see her as sex objects. The only time she was interested in having a real relationship with him was when she had caught AIDS to infect him too. Jesus. <laughs> She leaves Forrest at those points when he is most vulnerable, only to return when she needs him most. Due to these troubling patterns of behavior, and because she is fully aware that Forrest will never reject her, many say that Jenny never really cared for Forrest at all, at least not on a deep and meaningful level. So this one sounds a lot like the argument that Mark is making. <clears throat> this person says, I'm surprised a lot of people say that she isn't a terrible character. But dude, she pulled a handicap handicapped guy along and then only stayed when she got AIDS and a kid and she needed someone to care for and now that Forrest was rich he would never say no to her he was obvious he was an obvious choice and I'm sure there was I'm sure there was someone else he would never if there I'm was, sure if there was someone else she would never he would never see her again I'm tired just reading those I know well 
maybe it wasn't those reasons specifically. Maybe it was the sex and drugs. I mean, we see her snorting coke, smoking cigarettes, marijuana. It's later implied that she injects herself with heroin. Maybe people had a problem with her turning to drugs to numb the pain. But, like, if that's the case, though, then, like, what about Lieutenant Dan? He turns to alcohol and women to numb his pain. Do audiences hate on him the way that they hate on Jenny? That doesn't seem to be the case. No. The biggest problem that I saw people on the internet having with her was why she left after having sex with Forrest and why she didn't tell him about the child. All right. So my thoughts is that not telling Forrest about their son was probably still stemmed in guilt. Mm -hmm. Maybe she never would have said anything if she wasn't diagnosed. But since she did, she wanted to keep Forrest in his father's life because she knew what it was like to not grow up with her parents or at least not grow up with parents who cared for her. So I think that she didn't tell him because this was something that she had to do on her own. She was just learning how to take care of herself, sober, and now she's got this baby. If she ran back to Forrest, she might have left little Forrest with him with all the responsibility. She might have cracked under the pressure. I think that she reached out at the end because she saw that her life was coming to an end. And she thought, where was I the happiest with Forrest? Yeah, and give that opportunity to her son, yeah. right? Maybe people hate her because of what they feel when they see her actions. Especially once she's reached adulthood, audiences might see her as someone that can help herself but doesn't. They think that she should choose what she sees as a logical decision to share her life with Forrest, a man who actually cares for her. They get mad that she chose a life where she's just chasing different things that she thinks will make her happy, but instead leave her feeling empty and unsatisfied. Are they mad because they see themselves in those behaviors? Or maybe they just see someone they love in Jenny's actions? Or maybe it's because they'd like to think that they would choose differently. And maybe they would. But unless they were in the same situation, they never truly know. Mm. So, like, as a reminder, the film is told entirely through Forrest's perspective. So we only get to see the aspects of Jenny that are relevant to him. We don't know what's going on in her head or why exactly she's making the decisions that she's making. Again... Thinking about Jenny's past, you know, we know she's physically and sexually abused. That's enough to traumatize anyone into believing they are either unworthy or that anyone they open up to and trust will only hurt them. Even if her new home with her grandmother is a loving one, she still lives with the trauma that was established in her early life. Forrest is a happy man. The values instilled in him during his childhood have grounded his views on life into adulthood. But Jenny didn't have that experience. Her life is defined by chance and it's unanchored by any specific cultural values. She did not have a good childhood, but instead she had one filled with betrayal and violence. Jenny's choices are a form of escapism. And escapism isn't inherently bad or evil, but it's easy to lose track of oneself and go a bit overboard, as we see with Jenny's drug use in particular. After she left home, she needed to survive. She didn't come from money the way Forrest clearly did. I mean, look at that house. It's a literal plantation. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which, like, also, did they buy that house or did they inherit it? Because no, no, it would have been in generations. He says that in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. So the Gump family is a family of slave owners. Probably. But his best friend is black. <laughs> I wish this was a visual podcast, but my eyes just, like, ballooned. Um, yes. I, and he dies, too. So, like... Mm. Oh, yeah. That was one of my other beefs. I'm, like, the only black character in this show dies. Actually, it's very funny. The actor says he regrets playing that part. Oh. Yeah. Because, like, he just got, like... Everybody said he was dumb. Yeah. Because of the lip thing. So, it's, like, a prosthetic. I went down the rabbit hole. Like, there's a prosthetic on his lip that pushes it out. And he was just, like, this dumb guy who talked about shrimp all the time. And, like, because I don't know Hollywood is dumb, they were just, like... That's the idiot from Forrest Gump, right? We're not going to give him any roles. Like, it was hard for him to get, mm. like, legit roles afterwards. So he regrets doing it. So, anyway. Plantation house that Forrest had. He came for money. Jenny did not. So she had to do what she had to do. She posed for Playboy. Sure, it got her kicked out of school. But it also probably got her some income. And she used she was able to use it to survive. You know? Yeah. It even brought her the opportunity to sing on stage. Like, that was her dream, too. Like, yeah. she wanted to be a singer. And, like... You get to things weird ways, right? Like, this clearly wasn't it, but, like, she probably thought, like, oh, man, I'll get to perform this on is stage. Step. This is exactly what I want. Yeah, and it's just like, oh. Well, if you look at a, someone like Marilyn Monroe, yeah. who was in Playboy initially mm -hmm. and then became a big Hollywood star. Yeah, despite being in Playboy. Exactly. Yeah. Jenny's not a bad friend. I mean, remember that scene in the VA hospital when Forrest gets a stack of Jenny's letters that she never received? They weren't labeled like return to sender because she didn't want them, but because she wasn't there to get them. She didn't have a forwarded address, so the post office didn't have any way to deliver them to her. 
I'm also guessing maybe her grandmother had died by then, right? Probably. She was really old. I mean, yeah, probably. Jenny's not the antagonist of Forrest Gump. She's a lifelong friend of Forrest and has been shown to be one of the few people that loves and supports him for who he is. She encourages him. She worries for him. When they meet in her apartment years later, she shows him that scrapbook of mm-hmm. things that she, she's she been thinking about him this whole time. She was proud of him. Jenny always loved Forrest. She loved him so much she thought she was taking advantage of him, and so she ran away for what she thought was his sake. She didn't realize she was wrong until it was almost too late. Jenny does not feel like she deserves to be loved, at least not in the way that Forrest loves her, completely unconditionally. This is likely a part of the reason why Jenny repeatedly runs away from him. Her lack of self-esteem leads her to believe that she's protecting Forrest from herself when she leaves. Each time she tells Forrest to stay away from her, it's because she thinks that she's bad for him and doesn't understand why he would think otherwise. It's even possible by the end of the film that she still feels unworthy of Forrest's love, but she does think that her son is worthy of it, and she knew that he deserved to receive the love that only Forrest could give. But you say, if that was the case, why didn't she tell him about little Forrest when she was pregnant? Mm -hmm. Well, not to make excuses for her, but I'm guessing she wasn't there yet. Unlike Forrest, whose love for Jenny is pure and limitless, Jenny's relationship with the emotion is much more complicated. This is why I think she left after they had sex. When she leaves in the cab, the cab driver says, where are you running to? She responds, I'm not running. I think at this point she was ready to start her life and she knew that she was, she knew that it was going to be hard, but it was something that she had to do and she had to do it alone. So no matter what her feelings for force were, she needed to be on her own without a man's influence for like once in forever. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember Jenny's a woman, right? She's not given the same benefit of the doubt as some of the other characters in the film. At least in comparison with one very similar character who we briefly mentioned before, the difference seems to be that she's a woman. Yeah, so let's do a little bit of a comparison. So like Jenny versus Lieutenant Diane. So both characters are complex and nuanced. Both characters have self-worth issues. Both suffered familial abuse of some sort. Jenny's was physical and sexual, while Lieutenant Diane's was more emotional and psychological. He was basically told it was his duty to die in war. That's crazy. (laughs) Right? Both carry these paths to the point where their lives and near-death experiences are shaped by the traumas. Neither values themselves enough to understand Forrest's unconditional love and care for them. Both constantly push Forrest away, like, repeatedly, like, over and over again. They're Mm -hmm. like, get away from me. Like, what are you doing here? Like, Lieutenant Dan in the most rudest of ways sometimes. Yeah. Yet we all love Lieutenant Dan. Mm -hmm. Like, he's a great character. Don't get me wrong. But he doesn't receive even half of the vitriol that Jenny does. Let's maybe go a bit easier on her. So I feel like Hollywood loves a grumpy man. Like, look at... Clint Eastwood and literally everything. But, like, for grumpy women, like, they're usually the villains, right? You can't be grumpy. Smile. Right? Like, let's take it easy on women, too. All right. So, final thoughts, takeaways. So, like, I was always really stuck. First off, remember, we're like, oh, we never had a problem with Jenny, so I don't care what other people did. But when I started to research it, I was like, oh, everybody's like, you know, he, she used him. And I was really stuck on that part. I was like, I don't, I don't think that people get it. Like, I don't think that people think about companionship. Like, romantic love is not only sexual. While they did have sex once that we know of, I don't think that their love is any less because it might have been based more on companionship over, like, the sexual nature of it. Mm-hmm. I still think that people have, like, a really short fuse for women trying to find themselves. Like, it's always, like, figure it out, bitch. And it's like, I need some time. Yeah. You know? And even if they do... Yeah, even if they do, like, a man needs to be reaping all the benefits. Like, a woman will take her time to work on herself, but, like, a man needs to be the one who, like, gets to, you know, have this perfect housewife at the end of the day, right? Oh, yeah. So by the time that, like, Jenny, like, invites Forrest over to, like, her fancy new apartment, like, she's doing okay, like, minus the AIDS. She's got a job, she's got this nice place, she has a well-behaved, cute-as-fuck kid, and she just put herself back together. And, like, that's a story that I'd like to see, like, remake that. Forrest Gump, but from Jenny's point of view, like... Or right. she's just some guy that she's like, yeah, I used to know this guy. I talk to him every once in a while, but like, I want to know her. that I used to know. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it from her point of view. No, it's so true because there are so many gaps in, mm-hmm. in her story because it's told from yeah. his perspective. Which leaves room for you to be, for these misogynistic douchebags to be like, she was just a bitch who tried to use him. And it's like, yeah, but we didn't see like years of her life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because I'm the same way. Like, I never really thought of Jenny as the villain of this story. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember being surprised when you mentioned doing an episode on her. But 
then when we started looking into things, I was like, wow, there's a lot of people like they hate her. It had been a minute since I watched the movie and I rewatched it through this particular lens of, of watching Jenny more so than Forrest. And it had me thinking differently about the film, but not about Jenny, about Forrest. And like, what if he were not intellectually disabled? Like, what then? Then we have a privileged, straight, white, cis man who doesn't take no for an answer? Because he keeps going after her. Like, yikes. Fucking yikes. Also, he's always just lucky enough to be the center of all these important events. And like, this one got me. After the hurricane, when all those people lost their boats and their businesses, he just suddenly gets all the shrimp and all the money. Like, what? And those are all black families. It's like the housing boom, right? It's... (laughs) So the film is no longer quite as heartwarming to me as it was when I was 13. (laughs) But you know what? It's for the better because looking through these different lenses and knowing, having that adult perspective now, it shows me how far I've come as well. Yeah. Anyway, if you're interested in in knowing more on some of these alternate perspectives on Forrest Gump and Jenny, we have some resources and references for you. Forrest Gump, Why Jenny is unfair, Unfairly Villainized by Fiona Farrell. And another resource, Why Jenny from Forrest Gump is one of the most misunderstood characters of all time by Aaron Murphy. There's an article called So I Can Fly Far Away, Why You Were Wrong About Jenny from Forrest Gump by Sophie Wing. Forrest Gump, What Illness Jenny Dies From by Quinn Ho. And 20 Years Later, Forrest Gump's Jenny is Still Just the Worst. Mm. I mean... Agree to disagree, but it's good to know both sides. Yes. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything that you'd like to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have a suggestion for a woman we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at BigRipPod and Instagram and TikTok at BigRipputationsPod. Send us a message or email us at BigRipputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, or anyone who's the pea to your carrot. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all of our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we have a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod, or just check out the Linktree. Check out the link in our link tree. Whether you pledge two or five dollars, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the five dollar level, you'll have exclusive access to our little reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Florence Kennedy. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that episode. All right, let's wrap things up. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? So, like, there wasn't many from Jenny because. This misogyny is misogyny yeah like the more i think about it i'm just like there's not enough women in this in this movie but there's one from mrs gum who again didn't have a first name but it's told from forest so the quote is my mama always said you got to put the past behind you before you can move on fair enough and as always believe women Kennedy met with the dean and was told that she'd been rejected because she was a woman, not because she was black. Oh, oh, okay. So, that makes it better. Yeah. It's not racism. Don't even, it's just sexism. <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you so mad? It's because you're a woman, not because you're black. Get over it. Kennedy threatened to sue the school and then she was admitted. Oh, yeah. She, Sometimes yeah. threats work. I mean, yeah. Especially a law school. We're going to take legal measures against you. They know what can happen. So, okay. Yeah. Let's let this lady in.